Hello and welcome to What Is This Music, a podcast about the mysteries of musical taste, why we love the music we love and hate what we hate. My name is Malcolm Fraser. We got a good episode this week, but before we get into it, I have a little bit of housekeeping to do. Um, I, I have to say, I find this kind of shameless hustling uh, literally painful to engage in myself, but it must be done. Um, I started this podcast just a few months ago. This is episode 10. I'm having a great time, and I've had some really nice feedback, which I appreciate very much. However, um, this uh, podcast needs to uh, grow its audience a bit, um, and that's where you, the listener, come in. Um, there are three things you could do uh, to help this uh, podcast reach more people. One, you can subscribe. Uh, what is this music is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many, if not most, other distributors. By the way, if it's not available on your distributor of choice, please let me know and I'll see to it. The second thing is by uh, giving us a rating. On Apple Podcasts, you can uh, give a star rating or leave a review. That would be much appreciated. And finally, uh, spread the word, whether it's um, posting a link on your social media or just passing it on to a friend who might be interested. Uh, you'd be doing me and the show a big favor and uh, this has to happen in order for the show uh, to be sustainable. So thank you for listening to that bit and without further ado, let's get into the episode. I spend a lot of time on the show kind of uh, quizzing people, occasionally putting them on the spot about their musical tastes I haven't talked a ton about my own taste, but something that's come up in a couple episodes um, is people's sort of bemusement over my appreciation of Weird Al Yankovic. Now, I, I don't personally uh, think that it's that strange, considering that he's an extremely successful artist uh, with a long career. But who knows? Maybe it is a little weird. I don't know. In order to talk about this further, I brought on the show... Definitely the biggest Weird Al superfan in my life, Michel Ayoub. Uh, it's a fun conversation. I hope you enjoy it. So, Michel Ayoub, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I, I, how do I know you? I know you through the Daiquiri guys. Yeah, definitely through uh, Daiquiri guys. I, is it crazy to say almost 20 years ago at this point? A good at least well, 15 it might be crazy, but it would also be accurate. Yes, it's it's very bizarre to say. Yeah, I, I met the Daiquiri dudes when I was in high school and I started sneaking into shows. And then I met you uh, at a show when you guys were playing together. Yeah, I think I, I remember that because you were there and I remember Mike saying something like, oh yeah, she's 15. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, that, that was always a big thing because when I started hanging out at Fafuns and going to shows and, and meeting all these bands and doing, I was doing merch, I was doing street team. Uh, I'm six foot tall. So none of them realized that I was uh, significantly younger than everyone. Uh, but also that was, I mean, that's late 90s, early 2000s. So it was all the message boards. So you kind oh, of yeah. kept your identity hidden. So people would talk to me, we would become friends online, we would meet at bars. They had no reason to assume I was I was 14 when I met Mike. Well, yeah, you didn't look uh you didn't look 14. I did not. 
I think it was partly your height, but also like just the way you carried yourself. Like you're always very self-confident. And... <laughs> I guess so. I mean, it served me well. I don't think I would have as successful a career in music as I do now if I didn't start that young. Why, why do you say that? Uh, I mean, I was able to gain a lot of experience by the time I finished high school. I was already in contact with bands. I was already doing street team. I was already talking to labels and just doing all kinds of crazy things that you know, music nerds wouldn't touch on until, you know, college radio or something. And I just bypassed it all because this was still the era. This was pre-Facebook. This was pre-MySpace. Yeah. So you got a head start, basically. So I got, I got a head start and I, I got a lot of experience just in the music industry at a, at a way too young. But um, it, it really set me off. So when I, when I was in my late teens, early 20s and kind of dove into wanting to make a career in music, I already had a pretty extensive network, um, which was just right, an right. asset, really. Yeah. So you, um, I mean, right now, uh, the music business is kind of on pause to a large extent. It is. But um, you you keep pretty busy uh, with a lot of stuff. I do, I do. So pre-COVID, uh, my main gig was as a production manager for one of, I mean, we got bought out by Live Nation. So technically the biggest event promoter in North America. Uh, but also locally, I still was working with a lot of bands and I own a bar venue uh, so even with the COVID shutdown, that's still always a priority and a big focus because we're trying to keep that venue space alive. And um, yeah, it's pretty much a 24-7 gig and pretty stoked about it. I just wish we could start doing shows again. I, I miss it terribly. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I really look forward to uh, to, to when that, that part of life can, uh, can start up again. I, I was talking to another friend earlier today and... Uh, just talking about like the things that this pandemic has put in perspective and like the things that we miss and also the things that we like, maybe it would be nice to not go back to those things. Yeah. Um, I'm sure everyone's had a lot of time to reflect on that. Oh, but, totally. Uh, but live shows for sure is something that, uh, that I miss. And I warned my wife, I said, I don't think I'm ever going to, like, turn down going to a show again after this pandemic. <laughs> same. I've said the same thing. And I, I have a running joke with a lot of my other production and industry friends where it's like, I am never going to roll my eyes at an opening act again. Or, or like, the overly ambitious first showers and stuff who are just, like in your way and making a night really difficult. I will never, I will be a mama bear to everyone and I, I will take any and all gigs. Cause yeah, I think we all took everything for granted, especially for those of us who perform or work in it a lot. You, I mean, the, the first month or two of the shutdown when, when shit hit the fan in March was kind of nice to take a break for the first time since, you know, in my case, since I was a kid. Uh, but, uh, you know, that break, it wore off real quick. And uh, what it really made me realize how much I love my job, I love my industry, and I, I am so lucky to have made a career in music. And I miss it so much. Well, you know, at least, like, you've got that. Like, you know, I, I think it's uh, it's so refreshing to hear that because so many people in the music business are, are quite jaded yeah. and, uh, or embittered you know, especially at my age and up. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, it's always nice to hear that kind of, you know, enthusiasm 
I mean, that, that's not to say I wasn't bitter and jaded this time last year. It was starting to become, it was, it was, you know, the blessing and curse of having a steady career in a field that you love. You just kind of get over it and it becomes a chore and it becomes a job. So yeah, having that year, almost a year long break technically now is definitely, like you said, put it in perspective and really it's, it's not something I'm going to take for granted ever again. It's so true. Um, so is it fair to say that you you're um you're you mostly operate in the metal kind of world? I actually don't. Uh, I know when when I was younger, my leaning was definitely towards metal and and rock and things that were heavier. But then I always had my side side tangent of things that were weird, which is arguably how we met. Um, but in the last, I'd say, especially five to ten years, I only very recently got back into working with metal acts. It's not my main area of interest anymore. I I, I would have thought of Turbo House as like a like metal first kind of venue. We it's funny we we kind of approach it, and especially with this is a, so Turbo House. This is the third incarnation of it, but the third Turbo House three point Um. We kind of joke it is we're the, the bar for metalheads and punks who grew up. Okay. Where um, my business partner, Sergio, nailed it in an interview where it was, uh, he, he kind of, he phrased it as like, you know, I love listening to the Melvins, but I also want a fancy cocktail or a nice bottle of wine. And our staff's pretty diverse. So we, we're, we're definitely, we, myself and my business partners all come from, you know, the punk, metal and hard rock world. But none of us limited ourselves to that. So for people from Montreal who come in and they're like, you know, I thought this was going to be another Fafoon Electric. And it's like, no, I don't. Like, Fafoon Electric is still there. We're good friends. Yeah. You know, keep going there. We want to do something a little bit different. So there's definitely a rock edge. There's definitely a punk and a DIY mentality behind it. But it's uh, it's a classy joint. So I was going to say, yeah, because when you when you go in, like – you know the the drinks are nice the atmosphere is kind of inviting you know it's you know i obviously i love like a dirty disgusting yeah. bar as much as the next person but like this is totally not that it's actually a like a, a welcoming and uh kind of nice environment to be in that was a very very conscious decision on our part and like one of the other running jokes that we've had forever is you know we're the we're the alternative bar you can bring your mom to and sure enough, every now and then you'll see my mom sitting there with a bottle of wine and I'm super stoked about it. So it's kind of the best of both. Why I don't I don't like and like you said, I love dingy, gross. Like I've I have played and I when I used to play shows, I used to always be barefoot and I have been barefoot in places where I'm amazed I'm still alive from. But um Yeah. So it's it's uh I I we we didn't want to do that. We wanted we wanted something, I don't want to say higher class because that's just a stupid elitist thing to say, but we, we wanted something comfortable and nice and inviting and just to not limit ourselves by, you know, being too rock or too metal and just, I also want to own a place and be at a place that doesn't smell like pee. That's a very good thing to aspire to, you know, you got to set the bar high, right? Right, just... You know, a place that you're not worried about getting tetanus if you open a door. Just. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you say that, um, that metal is not your main musical, like, focus these days. As far as your, your tastes, what, 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 are you in, what, are you, what are you into mostly these days? Ah, I mean, 
for the last year, and especially in COVID times when people ask me what I listen to, the answers are always uh, Clutch, Run the Jewels, and then the ever-present There's Always Some Weird Owl in the Background. <laughs> and those are pretty much my, 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 my go-tos. Run the Jewels uh, 4 that came out this year is absolutely phenomenal, and I've been listening to it on loop since it was released. Clutch is one of my all-time favorite go-tos. And then I've never not had a quick access playlist to Weird Al going on at some point. Well, that's, that's amazing. And this is like, you know, I somehow, I, uh, I started to think about, about talking to you for this podcast because there were a couple of times when I was talking to other guests where like being into Weird Al came up and people either sort of said like, yeah, I was into Weird Al when I was a kid and then moved on. Or uh-huh. they sort of like, low key made fun of me for for being into weird owl i'm looking at you shame i think you should Uh, question your friendship with those people malcolm question the friendship (laughs) um and i i kind of realized that uh you know i wanted to maybe you know dig a little deeper into what it was that uh that i like about weird owl and, and why he has the kind of like role that he does. And I thought, well, who better to talk to than the only other person I know who is like an even bigger fan and full blown fan than me, which of course is you. Yeah. I, um, in French, they say, it's something that's just, I have, I have not lived a life with no weird owl in it. Yeah. Like I, I was, I was thinking about it when you asked me to, 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 to be a guest for you where, I've never not had Weird Al in my life since birth. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm an 80s kid, grew up in the 90s. I, I lived it. There's like Weird Al has been in my life longer than the internet has, which is yeah. kind of crazy yeah. to, 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 to say, but it's true. And yeah. um, it, it was something that, you know, for me as, as a kid, I was obsessed with him. It, it's... My, some of my earliest childhood memories are Weird Al and Rocky Horror Picture Show because my family's weird and they were all about it. Um, and I just, I've always had like Alapalooza and the Food Album, like the compilation of all the food songs. I still have those cassettes. They're in my, I'm not going to lie, Weird Al themed home office. Um, and it was just, it was always a constant in my youth. And then it kind of, it, it stopped because, yeah, I grew up. And then I was, I was a rocker metal kid in high school. And it was funny. Like, you know, I still listened to Eat It when it would pop on or the Much Music days when he would do the takeovers. But I wasn't like a diehard fan a- until in Sejep, so college, when uh, Straight Outta Linwood came out of nowhere. And then it was just like, he's still around and still amazing. And it just like relit the fire. And ever since, it's just he's he's just consistent he's like the only constant in my life since the 80s that's true Uh, you know my friend josh has a a son who uh uh, i'm blanking on how old he is right now but he when he was around 10 he he like ran to his dad excited me and he was like dad you know have you heard this guy weird al like he does these songs like he'll do beat it but it's eat it and my my friend was like trying to explain to him that not only did he know that, but that that record came out when we were the same age mm-hmm. as his son is now. Um, but um, yeah, I just thought that was a funny, crazy moment because he's, yeah, he's been around 
for so long. And similarly to you, um, you know, I discovered him when I was a kid. You know, I had the I had the first two records. I got them on, on vinyl, and then I started buying the cassettes, starting with Dare to Be Stupid, and then and I was really really in, into him um, as a young kid. And then somehow somewhere along the way, like I think after even worse, I think you know probably it's the same stage of life. I was like you know mid teens, and it was suddenly like I don't know if the the records like took a different turn or if I was just I didn't feel like listening to like novelty music anymore or there was something a little bit like I don't know if it was embarrassing or it just seemed like music for it was too kitty yeah yeah like yeah. you have that that badass rebellious teenage era where no matter what you need to be taken seriously and for me it was like being edgy with all these underground like grindcore bands and stuff that no one had heard of and just being like super underground metal like i'm too cool for weird al and then by like 17 18 it's like i am sure shit not too cool for weird al weird al's the coolest <laughs> like yeah. forgive my transgressions great alfred i will never turn my back on you again yeah yeah I, yeah i know what you mean i i can't remember when i sort of realized like there was there was a few years, but like you, it was a pretty short period of time because then later on in the nineties when you started doing the the Al TV uh, mm -hmm. or, or Al Music in Canada um, segments, and you know the pop up was like this is actually like really funny. Um, it's fantastic. And, and then in the early nineties, or maybe mid nineties, I went to see him live in Toronto, and oh. and I was like. I kind of realized that uh, it was that it was music for for kids. There were a lot of kids there, a lot of families, yeah. like parents with their kids, and um, there was only really sweet about that, you know. Mm -hmm. Like I hadn't. Uh, it sounds stupid to say, but I hadn't sort of cl clued in until that point that that it really that it 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 hits um it hits a certain nerve when you're when you're a kid. Totally. I was saying this to to another friend the other day, but like, to me, there's something, there's something in it, in what he does, that's similar to like Mad Magazine, um, in the sense that like, uh, the, the liberation of knowing that you can just make fun of things. That it, it that is so much of his appeal of it's a it's just so damn wholesome. Like yeah. you can't, it, it's, it's weird out. It's a safe bet no matter what, but it's, um, I just, it, it's a reminder to not take things seriously. And I've always adored and appreciated the just, you know, parody in general, but he, he being the master of it, of just taking the seriousness out of showbiz and pop culture and just having a laugh at it. And I, I've, I've always found that so grounding and it's something that as an adult, I've really learned to appreciate, especially listening back to the nineties stuff I grew up on. But as a kid, it's just, you know, as a kid, you think it's the edgiest thing in the world. Cause it's silly. Like, you know, as your friend was saying, it's like, Oh my God, like he's saying, eat it instead of beat it and fat instead of bad. Like you think it's the funniest thing in the world, but then as an adult looking backwards, like, wow, this is actually really witty and fun. And like, I hate to say wholesome, but it's super wholesome. It just makes you feel warm and fuzzy and giggle and, oh, it's great. Yeah, <laughs> you're getting excited just talking I'm super it. excited. Wait, you know, okay, you mentioned the first time you saw Weird Al. I, um, 
I only got to see him much later in life. Like I was already well into my 20s. The first time I saw him, he was hosting a Just for Laughs gala. Okay. So it was one of the comedy shows with musical acts and like organized rhyme was there and shit you not on the recording you hear me in the back of the room screaming oh my god it's organized rhyme which is a whole other story because <laughs> I didn't know what the lineup was I was just going because it was Weird Al hosting but I saw that but that wasn't much of a show because it's just it's a gala so he does like two songs yeah, yeah. And, and, and intros so the first time that I actually saw him perform was again at Just for Laughs it was a, that, the free outdoor show in I think 2016-ish yeah. Maybe yeah. 17. And um, I went with, you know, we're talking about metal. I was with um, Chris from Cryptopsy and Jason from Origin. So like two like super brutal metal bands. And we went to go see Weird Al together. And I turned to both of them saying, like, be warned. There's a good chance I might cry. And they were laughing and like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As if, as if. I'm like, no, no, you've been warned. There is a, like, I have been waiting like so yeah four or five years ago i've been waiting almost 30 years to see weird al perform and sure enough so they did the intro medley and um and i'd warn them especially i'm like if you fucking play is dare to be stupid i'm gonna die and sure enough the first song was dare to be stupid and the full devo soup and don't the waterworks happy tears but just gushing and i turned to them and it was like and they just, they're like, oh, we did not think you were serious. And I, I happy cried the whole show doing like the waving the hands and singing along to everything. And pe- like people were watching me. People were looking. They were not watching Weird Al. They were watching my six foot tall, heavily tattooed ass bawling. <laughs> That's amazing. I wish that I had seen that show. Oh, I was it was working on just for, for laughs. And I was like, you know, I was, I was on the clock at, at the, at the venue I was working at. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, everyone I know who saw it said it was amazing. It was ex- It was amazing, and it was in the rain, and it just didn't matter. It was just happiness. Yeah, and the I only other like- time I cried as much as when I met him the first time. Bawled my okay. eyes out. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, so we'll get to that uh, for sure, um, because like I think as an adult Weird Al fan, like there's 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 all these other layers that come that sort of mm-hmm. come out. Like when I saw him live at that time in the nineties, I don't really know if I knew what to expect, but like they would do a few songs and then like the, uh, the cur- the screen would drop down and they show a few clips and then they'd come out mm-hmm. full costume change. They did that probably like five times during the, the show, like full costume change, yeah. you know, and it was super theatrical. It was multimedia. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things I've always thought was really cool about him is that, he has almost uh, almost all the same musicians yeah. from like day, day one. one. Yeah, but like some of the some of the of his band members were on the, the I think most of them were on the first album. Yeah, from eighty one or eighty two or what it was, and then like the other guys joined on the second album, kind of thing. Like yeah, there it's it's a there's hardly anyone. Unheard of. I, I can't think... There's no other band that comes to mind that has that much of the original lineup, if to put it that way. Like, it, it, it blows my mind. It's, it's such a, a... And you get that feeling, like, live, that they genuinely like each other and enjoy this. And, and they just keep saying wholesome the whole time. Like, it's just... The, the more, like, as an adult, like, finding out facts like that, where it just kind of makes you respect him even more... 
Because, yeah. like, in, yeah. in, in what world does this multi-Grammy winning, you know, super famous and whatever, just, it's like, yeah, no, this is a family thing, and we have the same musicians for 30 years. It's crazy. Yeah. It, it is, it is. And, um, and, you know, they're all clearly, like, these super pros because they can take any style, any, any song kind of, like, duplicate Oh, yeah. It. Um, and that sort of makes you think, like, I think that a cert- at a certain point, I saw Weird Al as being kind of punk be- in a way because he was making fun of things. Yeah. Um, and taking the piss in, in a way, like, um, which I love and I think was hugely influential on me and just the way I approach life in general, mm-hmm. better or worse. Um, and uh, But then later on, you sort of realize, well, like, it's not like he hates these, he's he's making fun of these songs because he doesn't because he hates them like because how could you you have to learn how to play yeah. exactly there must be a certain respect for the song craft or like arrangements production like that whole yeah. side of things I, I totally agree with you and there's also the fact that like very famously that he always asks permission before doing the parodies like legally you don't have to with parody if i'm not mistaken in the states but he still does mm-hmm. and there's only that one instance with you know coolio in the 90s where supposedly he didn't give permission but they had proof that he had given the okay but there's just there's such a um you you can just feel in it that it's like you said he's not insulting it's not it's it's parody for the sake of parody. It's a pop culture parody. It's not a tax. It's not being mean. And then even when he does stuff that's maybe a little bit more, because he has had in the last couple of years a couple of pieces that are a little bit more political and like, you know, doing stuff with John Oliver and all that. And and even then it's still like the friendliest way that you can make a political jab or polit- like satire or something. And it's just always done with such masterful craft. And it... it, it there's a nuance to him that as a kid, I think, you know, as kids, we just kind of see it as, as funny wordplay. But as adults, like I was saying earlier, where it's just like, no, this is smart. Like, this dude's smart. Yeah, for sure. And so I wanted to, uh, you talked about, about meeting him before. Can you tell us, tell us a bit about the, the time or times that you met him? I've had the pleasure of meeting him a couple times now. Um, the first time was unexpected. Uh, and it just because it was unexpected and the whole way that it went down I just it's one of my happiest moments in my adult life so this would have been in about 2017 I think so it's pretty recent uh they were screening UHF in Rhode Island so this is not a Montreal this is a seven to eight hours away from Montreal event Uh, he was, they were screening UHF at this beautiful theater in uh, Rhode Island and they were doing a live Q and a with him after. So one of my buddies, who's also a big weird Al fan, John, he hits me up and he's like, do you want to go? He's in Albany. And I was like, yeah, you know what? Let's buy tickets. Let's go. So, uh, I went down to Albany, met up with John in Albany. And then we drove from Albany to, uh, to Rhode Island Went straight to the theater. We watched the movie with some of our some of our friends came up from Boston. So we watched the movie. There's the Q and A after, and again the Q and A is just wholesome. And the Weird Al fans are just nerds and weird and lovely. And um, so uh, important tidbit of this story is I may or may not have a giant portrait of Weird Al tattooed down my leg. Mm-hmm. So uh, so we're sitting there at the Q and A, and then my buddies just kind of keep nudging me, and they're like. 
Michelle, you got to get up and show him your tattoo. And I'm like, I don't want to be that guy. And again, working in music, I do, like I, I, I host and produce these kind of Q and A's and meet and greets all the time. And I don't want to be that, that like, look at me fan. And it was only during the Q and A where someone went up and then their question was, can I take a selfie with you? So all my friends kind of looked like, if that asshole can go up and take a selfie, you can get up and show your, your freaking entire thigh of the man's face. I get up to go into line. I was like, my question was going to be, can I show you my tattoo? Q&A goes too long. I don't get to show him anything. I don't even get anywhere near the microphone. So I'm super bummed. I sit back down with my friends and, you know, the theater's starting to clear out and the theater's clearing out to leave room for the VIP meet and greet. And uh, very long story short, with much egging on by my friends, uh, they finally convinced me to go up to the promoter and be like, hey, buddy, can I show him my tattoo? So... I show the guy my tattoo, this is the promoter, and he looks at me and he's like, yes, you can definitely stick around because we'd wanted to do the meet and greet, but it was, it sold out immediately. So he's like, you can stick around. He's like, your friends have to leave, but by all means, like you can stick around and just show him your tattoo. So when we're waiting for, for him to come out to do the meet and greet, uh, I start just chit chatting with the promoter and I was like, yeah, man, I drove like eight and a half hours, eight, eight ish hours to get here. So he thought I was completely insane and just even turned. Cause I was like, yeah, he's like, where are you coming from? Montreal. He's like, you crossed a border for this? To which I responded, I have the man's face tattooed on my ass. Yes, I crossed a border for this. So he comes out, he sits down, promoter then bypasses the line with me. And he's like, you know, this girl came all the way from Canada to show you her tattoo. And he looks at me and I am, my heart is racing. And again, I cannot stress enough. I do this for a living. I have, mm. I have worked with multi-million dollar, multi-award winning artists and I don't break a sweat. Weird Al's in front of me and I am... I am without words, white in the face, like about to pour sweat out of me, heart thumping. I show him my tattoo and he looks at it, looks at me and he goes, oh my God, can I take a picture? And he was like, yes, Weird Al. <laughs> so he took a bunch of pictures. The whole crowd is fucking applauding. And, um, and then, yes, I take a picture with him and uh, I can't speak. I'm just like, blah, 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 ha, I love you. And... Uh, I I motioned for like, because it was like an awkward, do I shake your hand, do I whatever? And I kind of had my arms up in the air and he's like, oh my God, give me a hug. And he gives me a big hug. And I I broke. I broke. I was shaking. Uh, He was so nice. I got a picture with him. Uh, As I'm leaving the theater to go meet up with my friends, they look at me and they're like, are you going to cry? I already have tears just down my face. I am shaking. I'm like happy hyperventilating. Uh, The entire drive back to New York back to Albany every two seconds. It's like, oh my God, guys, did you, did you see? Because, oh my God, I met Weird Al. Oh my God. They're all making fun of me the entire ride. Um, and then the next day, uh, doesn't my phone blow up? He posted the picture of my tattoo to Twitter and it got like 10,000 likes in a day. So my butt with Weird Al's face on it went viral. And uh, yeah, that was again, one of my happiest adult moments. Not yeah, adult. That's one of my happiest moments in my life. I I remember that because I I saw the tweet from Weird Al, and and I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I go I go on Facebook, and there's a picture on your feed of you like lifting your skirt or pulling yeah. your pants. Or yeah, lifting my skirt. And I was like, hey, wait, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> that's my friend. Well, so what was crazy is that in the years that have followed, uh, it's come up more than once. Like I almost oh I almost got into a fight with a bunch of Weird Al fans. Oh, do tell. Um, diehard, you know, I, people are like, Michelle, you're a diehard Weird Al fan. Like, yes, but actually not. 
Uh, I've met some diehard Weird Al fans, and they're terrifying. And I say uh, that so- with love. Um, the I don't know how to put it. The the level of ownership and de- like devotion to okay. cult artists sometimes. Like so when uh, so the context of this story. This was uh, the second time that I met him. Uh, at this point, was more industry based, just via management. Had friends, this and that. I got invited to the show. So before the show, there was uh, Weird Al Jeopardy. So the, the people who got the VIP passes, they heard, there was like a quiz show and like a like a little sank set and stuff. So I went to this, and everyone's waiting to go into this this trivia show. So the fans get to actually play uh, Weird Al Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Um, really awesome VIP event that they they put on. Like my hats off to them. But uh, when we're waiting to go into the theater for this to start, people started, like, trying to out-fan each other. Mm. And, it, and then it got, like, into, like, super obscure and, like, this and that, but this and this, but this and this and this album, and the version, the Japanese of the this and the that, of, the, of that cut of this. And it just was getting really intense. Mm. And then they kind of at one point turned to me and they're like, are you even a fan? Because I didn't know whatever weird, obscure trivia from whatever b-side of whatever kind like it was it was scurry it was i have not even seen it that intense in the metal world and metalheads are notorious for being the worst um and yeah they all kind of turned and i had like four like super weird owl fans like death staring me and i had to think quick because i'm like i'm about to get murdered like the the death in their eyes the death ray that me because i couldn't answer these trivia questions and then if i turn I'm like you know that uh, tattoo that went viral at his face on his butt? On, on their butt? And they're like, yeah. And I pulled down my pants. <laughs> okay, it was me. <laughs> and I just became, I became their god. <laughs> but in the back of my mind, at that point, I'd actually invited my friend John, who I went to, to Rhode Island with. Uh, but he was, so he was driving up to Montreal from Albany. And I texted him. I was like, where are you? They're going to kill me. Oh, like, I need backup. But yeah, I had, and, and just, I love too that I saved the day or I saved my own ass rather by pulling down my pants. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's like Trump card. If you're, you can't be questioned on your fandom at that point. Right. It was, I, I like whew, sweat off the brow, like, okay, I'm going to make, I'm going to make it. So um, you said that was the first time you met Weird Al. Was there another time that you got to... Yeah, so the first time was when I showed him my tattoo in Rhode Island, and then uh, the second time was in Montreal when he was doing the uh, ill-advised vanity tour. Yeah. Which was so good. It was stripped down, there was no theatrics, and it was, you know, as as a fan, uh, to see both the theatrical, like, full production, but then to see the stripped down, just them being phenomenal musicians and doing all, all, orig- all the original compositions was yeah. so good. Yeah. So for those who who uh, who don't know what we're talking about, if if there are any non, you know, Weird Al super fans still with us at this point, um, the, the uh, a few years ago he did this uh, this tour called the uh, what was it like ill advised vanity tour. Yeah, but there was like a a longer version of it. Yeah, right? yeah, it had like the super like super super long. Uh... Yeah. In and essence, then... saying like I know this is a bad idea, but who the hell cares? I'm Weird Al, and I'm gonna do it anyway. Yeah, so he did a, a tour where they, well, I remember they had there's a poster where they had all these slogans like "all filler, no killer," yeah, all the songs you skip over, yeah, to get to the hits, mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing. So basically, a, a tour for super fans where they where they didn't do the hits except in this kind of weird medley yeah. form at the end. Yeah, um, 
they did all deep cuts and as far as i understand it there was a different set every night yeah um which is like when i saw that he was doing that i just thought that's that's like the coolest it it was and like that so that was the instance where the super like the super fans wanted to murder me um but it was right. so good but like you know as we were saying earlier the musicianship and everything behind their his band he and his band are is just it was fantastic mm-hmm. absolutely fantastic so to get to see that stripped down version was just yeah. great and he played yeah. the night santa went crazy so if you're wondering if i cried again i did <laughs> that's awesome i i remember when i was watching the the set sort of realizing that um there was a there's a long period of his career that i don't where i had just kind of sort of checked out yeah like i i knew the the hits like amish paradise mm-hmm. and, you know uh white and nerdy late career triumph mm-hmm. uh, um and stuff like that but i didn't know the deep cuts from those records and i know the 80s stuff which he did not play very much of no um so it was like you know it wasn't uh i mean when you show up to something called the self-indulgent, the ridiculously self-indulgent, ill-advised vanity tour, yeah. you can't really like, you know, you, you can't really say you weren't warned. Exactly. Um, but, but I did love, uh, you know, hearing uh, the, the, the wordplay and seeing the, the interplay between the musicians and everything. And, oh yeah. Um, so, so you had a, another chance to meet him that, that night. Yeah. So that, that was the instance where, uh, Earlier on in the day, the, the super fans wanted to, to murder me. And then at the end, uh, I got to bypass the meet and greets and stuff. It, it was a cool instance of, um, I, I ended up working with people from his management and blah, blah, blah. So I went in thinking that I was just getting into the meet and greet, but I got to like bypass it all and got to like hang out with him and eat pizza. But I went into that. I, I, I was wearing... Uh, yoga pants and like a skirt over it and I didn't have a purse or anything so I had put into my yoga pants just to, to not lose it I had the um the inserts from my cassettes from all of, uh, from Alapalooza and Food Album which I have had since I was what five years old six years old when Alapalooza mm-hmm. came out I think and I was like I'm gonna get Alapalooza signed like this is gonna be my my piece de resistance in my home and I had it on me so I, I went in thinking that I was just going to line up in a meet and greet and then just hand over my insert. He'd sign it. Merci, bonsoir. No. So here I am like sitting and have, and he remembered me from the tattoo and I'm like chit chatting about the deep cuts and like trying to be cool industry. But in the back of my mind, all I'm thinking is like, can't sit down, got cassette insert in your pants. And now it's like, well, now I don't want to be a fan and like pull out things to sign. So it was, it was, it was, it was a tear for me. That was one of those moments where it's like, oh man, like I have to be a professional here. And and just for context too, like the company I worked for was producing that show. So we were in the back offices and doesn't the production manager from our company pop out and he just popped his head out and I'll never forget. This is a a colleague that I work with. He looked at and he goes, of course you're here. (laughs) Just walked away. But yeah, that whole time where it was like, I, I just, all I could think about was, yeah, you have the cassette insert in your pants because he didn't want to lose it and now you just have to like play it cool uh but he was just so sweet and his band was so sweet and having now met like at that point meeting a bunch of the people from the crew and stuff they were just all so lovely and nice and they're one of those those touring families that you i've never heard a bad thing about them and you know for my colleagues like how are they to work with just lovely like i love it yeah it's it's an interesting thing because uh 
you know, you, it, it's, it's known in the industry that he's like one of the nicest mm-hmm. guys out there. And that's not something that you hear a lot uh, about anyone, yep. honestly, but like, regardless of the genre, regardless of, of the point in the career, like, yeah, it's. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but I kind of like, I, I had an experience uh, where I interviewed him for uh, the Montreal Mirror okay. one time, uh, you know, Alternative Weekly, RIP. Um, and uh, I was, like, pretty nervous about it, you know, him being a childhood hero and everything. But also, he does a lot of press, so I was kind of like, I don't know, like, what can I ask him that's going to be interesting? Um, so then, like, when we when we talked, I had this feeling, like, I'm not even sure how to how to articulate it even today like he seemed very nice very sweet he answered all the questions very thoroughly um but i couldn't help but wonder like is that is that all there is is he just like a nice guy and that and that's or or is he does he keep is there a bit of an arm's length thing going on like i'm sure like he must keep some part of himself protected and doesn't want to like yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I feel like there's definitely an aspect of arm's length. I think that his persona is so solid and well constructed. I uh, a running joke that I have that, that my like close friends know is I'm waiting for the day that we find out that he's like the Zodiac killer. Because yeah, there's yeah. got to be something like you can't be the nicest dude in the world and there not be something up. But I know like for a lot of interviews that I've read and stuff that, uh, or interviews with his friends or family or whatever, that apparently, you know, the, the weird owl at home is a very quiet this and quiet that. So it's, but I, I also kind of love and respect how there is that clear distinction of his very, like the, the persona, the weird owl versus, you know, Alfred. And I, I, I find it admirable that after 40 years of doing this, it's still a clear cut persona and there hasn't been any, any wavering to it or anything, but yeah, no, I totally see it being arm's length. Like I I find it very hard to believe that I find it very hard to believe that that personality would be a 24 seven, but I do respect and admire the consistency of it's nice to know he's not an asshole. For sure. For sure. And, and like in, in some ways, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I've had the pleasure and displeasure of meeting most of my childhood heroes which is something I try and actively avoid, which is I was so nervous to meet him. Um, but it, it, it's crushing. Even when you're an adult and, you know, the 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 mystique of, of the music or film or whatever industry is gone, it still, it still stings when you find out that someone that you admired as a kid is a shitty human being or rude or whatever. Like, I've, I've, I've had it. And I see it all the time through work when, I, when, again, I do a lot of meet and greets and stuff with artists. And it's always a bummer. So it is nice that, like... You know, even if it is a facade, the fact that he's maintained it consistently to the pleasure of his yeah. his crowd, yeah. to his fans, I, I think is yeah. great. I, I, I don't think that it's a facade in that he's secretly an asshole. I no. just was like, I, I kind of, I, I, I found myself wondering, like, is there something below the surface that, it, that is not, that, it, that he's not revealing, which was totally fine if, mm-hmm. if, if that's the case. I mean, I, I, at one point, like, I asked him a question about, like, you know, you have this band that's been together for, like you say, 40 years, like, you know, that's pretty, really unusual. Like, what's the secret? And he was like, oh, I don't know, you know, like, we just really like each other. They're great musicians. We have fun on the road. And I was like, cool. 
I can't use that. That's like totally not interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, fair enough. I know for, for me personally, the fact that it is uninteresting is kind of what makes it great. Yeah. That you don't need to overthink it. There's no dark story to it. Like that, that's one of the reasons that I think like, you know, when you ask me what I'm listening to and I have, you know, my, my go-to bands, but I think one of the reasons why he stayed consistent is I don't have to overthink it. It's just, it's just always, it puts a smile on your face. It's not overly complicated. Yeah. His, his personal life has never tarnished anything to do with it. It's just, well, I, I overthink everything, Michelle, so it's, it's you know... It's, no, see, <laughs> normally, so do I. Normally, I'm the most cynical bitch and jaded and everything's wrong and everyone's a crook and I, I suck. Like, that's me. But Weird Al's just, I, he's, he can do no wrong. Harvey the Wonder Hamster. Chocolate lasagna. What, come on. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Chocolate lasagna I, I, was with Dweezil Zappa. Come on. If there's any, like, crack in his wholesome image, it's like... You know, I I remember a few years ago, he uh, he he did like a I don't know if it was a one off or a recurring role on like the Tim and Eric show. Yeah. And I remember asking him about that in the interview because I said I was asking him about like you know whether he feels constrained doing music for kids, whether he ever would feel like doing something more, whatever. And he just said, well, I wouldn't want to do anything that would be traumatizing to kids. And I said. Yeah, but you were on the Tim and Eric show. That's like traumatizing to adults. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and he and he and he laughed. And I thought, you know, maybe I can die happy now. It made made Weird Al like chuckle. You know, I, I love, I respect that. He was also he's a voice on BoJack Horseman. That's right. Yeah, yeah, and he was on um, Lady Dynamite too. Um, oh, okay. With uh, Maria Bamford, um, just in a cameo, but it was like, yeah, I mean, so. And then anyway, so after, after, um, after I asked him that he's, he had this very kind of like the way that he kind of explained it was that like, he didn't do anything perverse or like dark on, on the show. Like they can do yeah that and he can be on the show, but what he's doing is not like, I see up. that. <laughs> and I, I like, like that. This, this, this he's, he's thinks he's thought this through. Oh Yeah. <laughs> He's smart. And, and I find like it always kind of bugs me when I hear it, it, people just kind of oversimplifying. I know it's not an attack on what you said, but like, you know, music for kids. I don't think it was ever intended for kids. It was just intended to be silly. And kids are just smarter than adults when it comes to silly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, I read an interview with one of the guys from the band. I forget whether it was S Steve J or or. Uh the uh, the guitar player whose name I'm blanking on, but um, the uh, the guy said that when they started off, it was more of like a college audience. Yeah. And and then over time, it became more of a family audience. So I think there might be some of that too. Like, I mean, every once in a while, he'll get doesn't get dark, but he'll he'll throw a little something in there that's like, oh, that's a little edgy for Weird Al. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I think that there was a bit more of that on the on the early the first two records and. Maybe at a certain point it was just like, oh well, you know, I'll 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 course correct for this family friendly audience. It's funny when when I was when I was at that show that we were both at the the uh, vanity show, vanity yeah. tour. Um, there were a lot of you know, my wife was with me and she she was kind of like bemused at the whole thing, but she she pointed out like there were a lot of like kids with their parents and a lot of older people 
not so much like people in their 20s that that's like during the time when you go yeah. when you go away and have to come back as the prodigal yes. son or daughter to like the embrace of weird al totally but i feel like a part of me wonders too how much of it like you know, when he started off, it was the college, it was the Dr. Demento, he was also a radio host and all these things. And how much of it is the, the, not necessarily from when he started, but I can speak for myself and so many of my friends where it's, it's, it just bridges the generation gaps. Cause like, you know, we listen to it, like you brought it up too with your friend, like we listen to it as kids or we listen to it in college or whatever. And now the younger generation of like, I listen to it with my niece and nephew, you know, and it, it's just kind of, the range of it's really interesting. So part of the old, it's, it's, we've all grown up with it. It's been around for so long. Like I said, I've never, there's never not been Weird Al in my life. Yeah. It's, uh, and it's something I will pass on to my children and my children's <laughs> children. That, and I mean, I have a room full of merch, so I might as well. Yeah. Oh, um, I have t- too much merch. I wonder, like, at this point, like we were saying before, he must have some appreciation for the, for the music that he parodies but like at some level i wonder if there's any like grumpy old man side to him going like whoa what's all this like you know auto-tuned hippity hoppity uh, you know what i've i've wondered that too but he's always been such a music nerd that i see him embracing all of that and um like i remember i think it was like a vh1 behind the music or something but there's the uh I'm pretty sure it was from those interviews just talking about him playing with synthesizers and then Devo kind of turning around and being like, he does it better than Devo. He does Devo better than Devo and stuff like that. So I feel like he's someone who would embrace new technology. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he I does if be it by necessity or out of genuine interest. But I think that he's a, a dorky enough music lover that he is probably stoked about new auto tuny. Yeah. weird shit I, I could i i mean in my personal daydream of what i think his how his mind works i think that he'd be like stoked for the challenge yeah well it's interesting to see because he does all these kind of pastiches through the yeah. years like they're not song parodies but they're like style parodies either of a genre or a or a particular artist and you can sort of track his taste through the years from like new wave in the 80s like talking heads devo like b-52s and then in the 90s like the more like alternative rock uh kind of stuff and then in more recent years i feel like he's been branching out into into more esoteric things like with sparks or zappa or whatever that are probably his his personal tastes well you know in the end what can you say other than you know a little while ago uh there was some book publisher who were, who were like soliciting uh you know book pitches about pop cultural things and i pitched something about weird al and the 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 editor or publisher or whatever wrote back and was just like yeah you know thanks but no thanks it's we feel that it's not like there's not much of a thesis there and i was like weird al rules like what more of a thesis do you need dare to be stupid bro (laughs) yeah yeah um so I know, I, I guess perhaps like, you know, we're, we, don't, we don't have the most objective, uh, you know, perspective to, uh, to evaluate like his, his place in the, in the canon of, uh, of pop culture, but I'm just glad that, that he's, uh, that he's around. 
So am I. And I, I, I'm currently working with a bunch of 16, 17 year olds. And I, I made a Weird Al reference the other day and they like gave me a blank stare. And it turns like, y'all don't know who Weird Al is? Like, no. And I was like, sit down and making you watch shit. And it was nice because I'm their boss. So I was able to be like, <laughs> I am your boss. This is okay. And I made them watch. And what was, what was so much fun. So there were two 17 year olds and I was able to show them, uh, I showed them uh, white and nerdy. Cause as soon as the beat hit, they knew what the song was. Cause it's a classic. Yeah. Uh, then I was able to show them the, uh, I'm so handy. And then I went and showed them a bunch of the Michael Jackson stuff and they knew every single song I played and they looked and I'm like, y'all have homework to do. And the next day, one of them came back. She's like, He's amazing. Damn straight, he's amazing. Seventeen years old. You're welcome. You, you can you can pass on the knowledge to the uh, yeah. He's 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 an undeniable part of North American pop culture. Whether you like him or not, whether you get the joke or not, he you you can't be around as long as he has been as successful as he has been, still packing stadiums and still winning awards, and say that he's not relevant in the pop culture landscape he's one of the few constants and yeah we're biased because we're fans but it's it's undeniable like you can't win that many grammys over the course of four decades and not be a relevant topic in the pop culture discussion for sure for sure it's yeah it's like the only way to stay relevant is to just make fun of everything consistently and Um, and do it with class it's so good yeah yeah Well, that's the other thing, too, is like, you know, you like to think, I suppose in any field, but certainly in in the showbiz world, like there's just so many difficult people and assholes and toxic Mm -hmm. people. And Mm -hmm. sometimes you kind of go like, is there any reward in like being a good person, like treating people well? And then at least you can look up to Weird Al and say like, well, there's one guy. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, it's, and you know, the guy keeps saying, like, as someone who works in the industry 24 freaking seven, it makes all the difference when you meet people or work with people who are not jerks. And, uh, yeah, no, it's a testament. It's, it makes you happy too for, for artists' success when you hear stories about how they're nice with fans or they're consistently good or, you know, that, that, you know, I know on my end, uh, from like, you know, a backstage perspective, when I see that, you know, you've been with the same crew and the same tour managers and the same management for 10, 15, 20 years, like that means a lot. And that is something that some fans might not realize or or know to appreciate, but that's worth a lot in my books. For sure. Well, I mean, when you start getting into like, you know, road crew, that's that's beyond what most people's like yeah no totally totally but i remember like i you know i I was a pretty big rush fan and i remember realizing at one point like they have the same tour manager and the same lighting guy from like the 70s like that's that's that says something you know It, it, it does it really does and uh you know fans might not realize it or appreciate it but it does contribute to the the overall production like it does make a difference when when people are not miserable fucks, it it does translate into the live shows. It translates into the quality of the work. It translates into the vibe. It translates, it's a much bigger picture that, you know, fans might not realize it, but it's there and it's, it's, it's appreciated. And it it definitely contributes to my appreciation of, of artists like Weird Al that, you know. Totally. 
I just realized that we, you know, I think that I probably need to, to wrap things up. Um, <laughs> we've been going at it for a while, but um, I, I just realized that we didn't, didn't talk about Guar at all in your, in your personal. Oh my, yeah. Uh, the late uh, Dave Brocky slash Odorous Arungus. I mean, speaking of, you know, your classic kind of artists who uh, sort of maintained a, maintained a persona that it was completely absurd but just like embraced it and i mean it's it's completely on another planet from weird al but uh oh yeah um dave Dave was someone real special like i'm i'm very 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 lucky to have like he was a good friend of mine and but yeah that that persona and he was also someone that just has a stellar, had a stellar reputation of being great with fans. And I witnessed it firsthand more times than I can count of just, just being so stoked to do what he does. And like in a parallel to be drawn with, with like Weird Al, like people like it's so silly, it's so stupid, it's so this, it's so trivial, it's whatever. And he is hands down one of the smartest people I've ever met. And every joke, every, every, Cthulhu, the the cuttlefish spew, everything was yeah. so perfectly timed. I have seen the man's notes. I have seen him do his jokes and stuff. Like there, there was a level of nuance and brilliance behind his madness. And um, yeah, some people will only ever take he and his character at face value of just being silly and stupid and vulgar, like polar opposite of Weird Al. But then they collaborated. There's. Are you aware of that? No. I there is. Oh my goodness. I uh, I remember being really upset because I only found out about this after he'd passed. And uh, I just had that moment of like, you son of a bitch. How could you not have told me that this was happening? Uh, there's like um, a cartoon. I can't remember what the context of the cartoon was because I, I mean, I saw it right after he passed, which is already seven freaking years ago. Um, it was uh, Weird Al versus Odorous. And it was like, Odorous wants to be appealing, like he, he's he's tired of being mean and evil and killing, so he steals Weird Al's face and goes to perform at a at a children's show. Okay. And then it was going to be like the Adventures of Gore versus Weird Al, and it was like this weird pilot thing. I do not, I cannot for the life of me remember the context of why it was created, but it's like Odorous versus uh, Weird Al. That's amazing. But well, um, you know, you know he's got good taste. Uh, if he uh, if he collaborated with those guys, right? Um, well, well, Michelle, I uh, you know I remember that at one point we had discussed uh, like starting a dedicated Weird Al podcast, yes. and it, it never got <laughs> off the ground. But you know maybe it's just as well because it just would have been uh, us like you know f- you know fangirl and fanboy full fan mode anecdotal giggles. It would have really yeah. just been us for us to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just edit out hours of giggling. That's perfect. <laughs> well, I appreciate um, you coming on to talk about Weird Al because uh, I feel like you know there's still a, a little bit of a mystery to uh, to 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 like un- uncork or something. But maybe maybe that's for the best, and we should just enjoy enjoy him for 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 what he does. He's too good for our world, so we must appreciate him while we got him. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Uh, all right, Michelle, we'll take care and I hope to see you around. I hope we can like see each other in real life um, before too, too long. Mm-hmm. We are way overdue. Curse this COVID. Yeah. <laughs>
Thank you very much for listening, and thank you, Michelle, for being on the show. When in Montreal, once all this has passed, be sure to check out Michelle's bar and venue, Turbo House. You can find What Is This Music on Facebook. You can find me, Malcolm Fraser, on all the appropriate social media. And uh, on the Facebook page or the homepage, you can also find Michelle's Spotify playlist of her Weird Al Essentials. Thank you very much. See you next time.